October 20th. Now, as we turn our attention to the reading of the New Testament, we'll be looking today into the book of 1 Timothy, chapter 5, verses 1 through 25. What causes problems in churches? Often it's people not getting along with each other. Brothers and sisters do not always dwell together in unity, even though that's God's will. Paul suggests that we treat other people the way we would treat members of our own family. If the older people complain about things, deal with them as you would your father or mother, and accept the younger believers as brothers and sisters. This is simply a call to love others as God loves you. Now, not everybody who asks for help should receive it. That's right. Charity should begin at home, and church leaders must exercise discernment, lest they create more problems than they solve. Sometimes trouble comes because we believe reports that cannot be verified, or we show partiality, or we make decisions before getting the facts. Not every church member has a character as good as his or her reputation, so take care. And with that, we begin today's reading in the New Testament. October 20th, 1 Timothy chapter 5, verses 1 through 25. Never speak harshly to an older man, but appeal to him respectfully, as though he were your own father. Talk to the younger men as you would to your own brothers. Treat the older women as you would your mother and treat the younger women with all purity as your own sisters. The church should care for any widow who has no one else to care for her. But if she has children or grandchildren, their first responsibility is to show godliness at home and repay their parents by taking care of them. This is something that pleases God very much. But a woman who is a true widow, one who is truly alone in this world, has placed her hope in God. Night and day, she asks God for help and spends much time in prayer. But the widow who lives only for pleasure is spiritually dead. Give these instructions to the church so that the widows you support will not be criticized. But those who won't care for their own relatives, especially those living in the same household, have denied what we believe. Such people are worse than unbelievers. A widow who is put on the list for support must be a woman who is at least 60 years old and was faithful to her husband. She must be well respected by everyone because of the good she has done. Has she brought up her children well? Has she been kind to strangers? Has she served other Christians humbly? Has she helped those who are in trouble? Has she always been ready to do good? The younger widows should not be on the list, because their physical desires will overpower their devotion to Christ, and they will want to remarry. Then they would be guilty of breaking their previous pledge. Besides, they are likely to become lazy and spend their time gossiping from house to house, getting into other people's business, and saying things they shouldn't. So I advise these younger widows to marry again, have children, and take care of their own homes then the enemy will not be able to say anything against them. For I am afraid that some of them have already gone astray and now follow Satan. If a Christian woman has relatives who are widows 
She must take care of them and not put the responsibility on the church. Then the church can care for widows who are truly alone. Elders who do their work well should be paid well, especially those who work hard at both preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, Do not keep an ox from eating as it treads out the grain. And in another place, those who work deserve their pay. Do not listen to complaints against an elder unless there are two or three witnesses to accuse him. Anyone who sins should be rebuked in front of the whole church so that others will have a proper fear of God. I solemnly command you, in the presence of God and Christ Jesus and the holy angels, to obey these instructions without taking sides or showing special favor to anyone. Never be in a hurry about appointing an elder. Do not participate in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. Don't drink only water. You ought to drink a little wine for the sake of your stomach, because you are sick so often. Remember that some people lead sinful lives, and everyone knows they will be judged. But there are others whose sin will not be revealed until later. In the same way, everyone knows how much good some people do, but there are others whose good deeds won't be known until later. Now remember that Jesus was without sin. His meat and his drink was to do the will of the Father. And though he was a man of sorrows, a man of profound compassion, certainly no more compassionate human being in the history of the world than was Jesus. This Jesus who, when he looked at Jerusalem and knew what fate was befalling it in the near future, he wept over the city and he said, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how often I would have gathered you to myself like a hen gathers her chicks. But you wouldn't. And yet it's that same man of compassion who said, I wish it were already kindled. Now that's one possible interpretation. The second one was that Jesus knew that the judgment of God was coming, and he just simply wanted to get it over with. And that is linked to the next statement that he says, I have a baptism to be baptized with, and how distressed I am until it's accomplished. Isn't it ironic that in chapter 12, just a few verses earlier, Jesus told his disciples, be anxious for nothing. Don't worry about tomorrow, what you should eat, what you should drink, what you should put on. And he gave that sermonette against anxiety. And yet here he reveals a profound state of distress a profound concern for himself, for what was waiting for him in the near future. I have a baptism to be baptized with, and how distressed I am till it is accomplished. Well, what? He was already baptized. He'd been baptized in the Jordan River by John the Baptist, more properly, John the Presbyterian. But you see, John baptized him with water. This baptism was not a baptism of water. It was a baptism of fire. 
again the fire of divine judgment. So why did he use the term baptizo to to baptize? What he was getting at is this, is that, that the fire of the Father's wrath is not merely going to touch me. It's not simply going to harm me a little bit or singe my hair. But I'm going to be immersed in it, inundated by it, swallowed up in it. Because all of God's wrath that is poured out on every one of my people for their sin is coming on me. He was looking towards the cross, the most vicious expression of divine wrath that we find anywhere in Scripture. God was not playing with His Son at Calvary. This was real judgment. This was real fire. This was the fullness of hell itself that came upon Him. And at this point, Jesus is saying, I can't wait to get it over with. I can't wait to cry from the cross. It is finished. It's done. No more. Psalm 89. God made a covenant with David that he would always have a descendant on his throne and that the Davidic line would rule forever. But Ethan, the Ezraite, had a problem. One of the Davidic kings had been defeated in war and had lost his throne. It seemed to Ethan that God had broken his covenant and that God was not faithful to his people. Faithfulness is a key word in this psalm. God's faithfulness is seen from generation to generation among his people, in creation, among the nations, and toward David and his family. Ethan knew all of this because he knew the scriptures. But recent events seem to deny the truthfulness of the covenant and the faithfulness of the Lord. Ethan's problem was caused by spiritual short-sightedness. The ultimate fulfillment of the Davidic covenant is in Jesus Christ, the son of David, and he will reign forever. God's faithfulness does not fail. When Jeremiah viewed the destruction of Jerusalem, he may have felt as Ethan did when the king was defeated and dethroned. Instead of questioning God's faithfulness, Jeremiah reaffirmed it. Great is your faithfulness. Never judge God's faithfulness on the basis of what you see or how you feel, because His promises do not fail. Psalm 89, verses 14 through 37. Your throne is founded on two strong pillars, righteousness and justice. Unfailing love and truth walk before you as attendants. Happy are those who hear the joyful call to worship, for they will walk in the light of your presence, Lord. They rejoice all day long in your wonderful reputation. They exult in your righteousness. You are their glorious strength. Our power is based on your favor. Yes, our protection comes from the Lord, and He, the Holy One of Israel, has given us our king. You once spoke in a vision to your prophet and said, I have given help to a warrior. 
I have selected him from the common people to be king. I have found my servant David. I have anointed him with my holy oil. I will steady him, and I will make him strong. His enemies will not get the best of him, nor will the wicked overpower him. I will beat down his adversaries before him and destroy those who hate him. My faithfulness and unfailing love will be with him, and he will rise to power because of me. I will extend his rule from the Mediterranean Sea in the west to the Tigris and Euphrates rivers in the east, and he will say to me, You are my Father, my God, and the rock of my salvation. I will make him my firstborn son, the mightiest king on earth. I will love him and be kind to him forever. My covenant with him will never end. I will preserve an heir for him. His throne will be as endless as the days of heaven. But if his sons forsake my law and fail to walk in my ways, if they do not obey my decrees and fail to keep my commands, then I will punish their sin with the rod and their disobedience with beating. But I will never stop loving him, nor let my promise to him fail. No, I will not break my covenant. I will not take back a single word I said. I have sworn an oath to David, and in my holiness I cannot lie. His dynasty will go on forever. His throne is as secure as the sun, as eternal as the moon, my faithful witness in the sky. Proverbs 25, verses 25 through 27. Good news from far away is like cold water to the thirsty. If the godly compromise with the wicked, it is like polluting a fountain or muddying a spring. Just as it is not good to eat too much honey, it is not good for people to think about all the honors they deserve.